You're listening to another weekly broadcast brought to you by the Christian Cornerstone Ministries, providing biblical foundations for spiritual growth. Before we begin today's message, I would like to invite you into joining our ongoing ministry support members. By becoming a supporting member, you show others just how much you believe in the Christian Cornerstone Ministry, as well as ensuring the ongoing deliverance of God's Holy Word. For as low as $5 per month, you can help support this ongoing work of this ministry, as well as the outreach into additional fields. To learn more, contact us on our website at christiancornerstone.org. And now, for today's broadcast. Hey guys, welcome to another broadcast by yours truly, Mr. Bill Ricksecker. Uh, today's a really exciting one. Um, I'm getting this all set up here so I can see these comments in which people throw out here on Facebook uh, and see what goes on. Turn that volume down a little bit so that way uh, we don't get that uh, interfered with anything. Uh, now, as we get started here, you know, I have no idea why, but for some reason I am really nervous right now. I, I think it's probably this exciting news that I have to share with you guys. I, I really have no idea. I've done these broadcasts for, I guess, probably about, uh, or constantly for about six months. I've been doing them for even longer than that. We'll say probably about a year now. And I am shaking something fierce. <laughs> um, and I, I would probably say it has to do with what, you know, these little new things that's going on here today. For those of you who are watching this video, I want to thank you guys for chiming in. I want to thank you for watching, um, and uh, you know I hope you guys I hope you guys do enjoy this, um, and I hope you guys you know get your questions answers and get a little bit more understanding with what's going on in this broadcast. Um, now, before we get started here, if you checked out our feed, um, I shared two pictures today um, of some exciting news. Actually, it was some uh, some features, something I've been holding off with for I think about two weeks or so, maybe three weeks. Uh, a little surprise. I uh, have somebody. There was actually someone else's idea. You know, they told me some time ago um, that you know, hey, you know, I, I want to watch your thing, but I, but I can't find my notebook, or let me find my notebook first, and then I'll do it. And so I was like, you know, that's a really good idea. Now this wasn't mix. This was no excuse. They actually did find their notebook. They actually did send me a picture of all the notes they took, which was really awesome. It was a huge blessing to see that, uh, you know, there's a, a few people in which I'm reaching uh, with these broadcasts. So um, that's awesome. But with that being said, I had the idea. I thought, okay, so there's a few people, and I, I myself, when I listen to sermons, I personally like taking notes as well. Um, it helps me to um, obtain, I think obtain is the proper word I want. It helps me to get more out of the sermon. It helps me to get more uh, of an understanding from it. So with that being said, uh, one of the first of many to come options in which we're going to be, as the ministry progresses, that we're going to be sharing with our fans is none other than um, the first one here is a notebook. Uh, it's actually a really nice notebook. Um, I, I used a a sleek um, template, I guess is what you will, uh, to get these, and I really like it. The color scheme matches perfectly with what we're doing. So you got Christian Cornerstone right up top, and then down at the bottom, laying the foundations for spiritual growth. That's essentially the motto um, of this ministry. 
as you can tell, you know, it is a notebook. It's got a bunch of other pages in here. Uh, and then not only that, but we also have a really nifty pen. You can check that out. It's got the, you can't even see it with the, the computer, but it says the same thing. It says uh, the Christian Cornerstone laying foundations for, or laying uh, foundations for spiritual growth. And it's even has our website on there. Uh, now those two options, the, the notepad and the pen, this is something in which we, uh, I want to um, provide for uh, our, our financial supporters. Uh, if anybody who is uh, contributing to this, if anybody would like a notepad and pen, uh, you can get one you know, at no cost, uh, more or less, uh, by becoming a monthly supporter of this ministry of at least $10 per month or more. Uh, and that's not all. I mean, we're going to be getting more. There's uh, there's a bunch of more merchandise. I would love to share. Um, I would love to share with the uh, the followers, the fans, uh, as well as some inside news as far as what's going on. This is just the first step of the growth of this ministry, and I'm really excited for that. I've actually had a couple people already asking, "How can I get one?" I shared it on my personal page. Um, and I even shared it on a ministry network uh, in which I'm getting my education through. And I was a, uh, a lady on there which said the same thing. It's like, hey, that's really cool. How do I get one? So there is people who would like one. And if you would, you can uh, get one uh, by becoming a monthly subscriber. Uh, and then also a little insight news, which those of you who are watching this broadcast, you're going to find out here in a few minutes that I'm going with glasses. <laughs> Um, these are not, they're not prescription or anything. They're just, uh, reading glasses. Uh, if you notice, I was kind of putting a little bit of a strain while I was, um, reading in general. So I thought I'd get some reading glasses to see if that helps. And hopefully down the road, I'm not going to need prescription glasses because that would be completely terrifying. I mean, you can see how old this makes me look right now. Um, actually I don't look too bad, but uh, I had a gentleman I talked to. I'm only 30 years old. I had a gentleman tell me I look uh, I look like I'm going to be 40. So that's kind of scary for me. Now, as we get into this series, um, we're finishing up the first section of uh, the Book of Romans of uh, you know the condemnation, um, the condemnation of God's righteousness, uh, or because of God's righteousness. Uh, this is the last episode that we're going to be doing of this segment of condemnation. And then we're going to be getting into our next uh, segment over the um, justification uh, through God uh, and his righteousness. Now, this title is, the title is None Are Worthy, Not Even One. And as we get into this, again, I want to encourage you all to check out, if you do not have the beautiful Christian Cornerstone notepad or notebook and uh, pen, Grab a, something else that you can, uh, you know, even a piece of paper, a sticky note, if you can find enough room on those things, um, whatever you can, whatever you can get, um, and, uh, you know, follow along with us, follow along with this broadcast, uh, take notes if you wish, we will have a number of passages in which we're going to be going over with um, outside of this, uh, our uh, selected study. Uh, so you may want to keep track of that as well as that, as well as any other thoughts that may come to your mind. So I want to encourage you to do that real quick. Grab a pen and a paper and let's get busy. Now, in the past sermons that we've done, uh, we talked about the goodness of God's judgment and how even God's wrath is also God's goodness. And then last week we talked about the hypocrisy of false converts and more importantly the dangers of the false convert and, and, and that being one of the main things, one of the big things that the Christian uh, community, that the church needs to focus on, um, you know, to rid this hypocrisy from our church. 
uh, so that we can, you know, set, so that people can see that these people are serious with their Christian faith. You know, I saw uh, an article, I shared this uh, the other day, I don't even remember where it was at, but I shared, uh, I shared an article that I, it, was, it was basically saying that, you know, one of the things that turns people off from the church is there's not enough sincerity. Um, let's see if I can't find it real quick. I've shared a few things, quite a number of things, actually. So um, I may or may not be able to find it really quick. Okay, here it is. Uh, this commentary or this, this quote, this came from this article, and it's from, a, I guess, the gentleman who wrote this article was reading a book in which this quote was in. Many have refused to join the church because, not because the church has demanded too much, but because it has demanded too little. Their criticism is not what the church, uh, their, their criticism is not that the church is too different from the world, but that it is too much like the world. And the humiliating truth is that no Christian fellowship has ever truly changed them. And one of the things I challenge every ministry, I challenge everybody, um, is how is your faith, or more importantly, how is the church different? Number one, how is it different from other churches? Because there's a lot of false churches out there, and we need to separate ourselves from that. Uh, we need to show that we're engaging, show that we're trying to find some way to interact with the people and to get them to realize uh, the, the truth, uh, if you wish to call it that, or if you wish to uh, say it in that way. Um, but one of the challenges is is that the church needs to recognize this. How are we? Now, we have faith. We read the Bible. But specifically, when it comes to the community of believers, how are we different from those who are outside of the world? What can we offer that the world can, cannot already offer, that the world doesn't offer? That's the big thing about the turnoff is people see that. They go to a church and they say, I can get this same stuff that you're, that you're providing me with here at this church. I can go get it at a bar. So that's a big thing there that we need to recognize when it comes to hypocrisy. Now, I wasn't planning on making a whole entire sermon over that, but I guess we kind of went in a little further. But today, um, as we said, none are worthy. And that's what we're going to be going over with, um, the reality. Now, we, we, we often hear that, um, you know, some people would say, it's like, well, I've done, a lot of people would say this, actually. I, I can probably count, count them on, I can't even count them on my hands. But, uh, you know, I've done enough good deeds. I'm a good person. You know, I believe I'll get into heaven. You know, God loves me. He's not going to send me to hell. Um, you know, and other, other things that, that would people would say to justify that, other than submitting to Jesus Christ as their Lord. So, uh, and living out an obedient life through him. So, starting in this, I'm going to go ahead and read this, Romans 3, 9 through 20. Uh, this is uh, Paul's final argument uh, about the unrighteousness of mankind. It says, What then? Are we Jews any better off? Starting in verse 9. Not at all. We have already changed all that. We have, we have already charged that all. Or, for we have already charged that all, both Jew and Greeks, are under sin. Everybody. We've already recognized that. In verse 10 here, It is written that no one is righteous, not even one. No one, stand, no one understands, and no one seeks God. All have turned aside, uh, and all have together, they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave, and they use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruined and uh, are in ruin and misery. 
and the way of peace they have not known. For there is no fear of God before their eyes. These are, this is the word of God. In verse 18, starting in verse 19 here, it says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. This is the reality here that is our sins that are essentially... Um, being aware. This is why we need to recognize the law of not only the not only the Hebrew and the, the Jewish laws, but God's law specifically, is because by knowing this, by by simply even and, and we'll get into this further, by, by having the conscience, we are we have it's, it's our consciousness is self evident that we have God's law, a, a moral law that has been written on our hearts in which we went over with in our earlier series. I believe it was in chapter one. Um, you know, we as human beings, particularly the believer, the Christian, um, you know, we often think that salvation is some works of our own doing. In fact, I actually we will get into that here in a minute. But, you know, we've chosen, you know, that because we, we've, because we have chosen him, you know, that this is our own doing. And somehow we've earned salvation because of that, because we've chosen him. And that this is a merit of our own accomplishments. Now, that is far from the truth. This is one of the things I have had a hard time to understand. I, I still don't even understand it, but I believe it. I don't, I, I don't, there's a lot in the scriptures that specifically I don't understand, but I believe it. Um, that there's nothing that we could possibly do on our own, even by repenting. Because, you know, God himself, he's, he knows the heart, so he knows if our repentance is serious or not. But even, even the act of repenting or and accepting Jesus Christ, even that is not enough. Um, we'll get into that uh, in a minute. Uh, but we actually, I want you, I want to actually ch uh, encourage you guys to check this out. I promoted it. I've been promoting it, I guess. Um, the Gospel According to Jesus by John MacArthur. I've been reading that. Uh, it's actually why I got these goggles here. Um, but I've been reading that book. It's phenomenal. He starts off with the, the account with Nicodemus, and he's sharing the gospel with Nicodemus, confronting his sin, and saying, you know, you're, there's no hope for uh, obtaining eternal life until you come across with this. And then he goes into the Samaritan woman at the well, pointing out her sin, and saying the exact same thing in a different way. In a different way. Um, and then this other piece that I'm just now finishing up, he's talking to the rich young ruler who comes to him and says, you know, I've kept the law, you know, what else do I need to do to obtain life, to obtain eternal life? And Jesus tells him, he says, well, you know, you need to go and sell your possessions, give it all to the poor. Now, there's a lot to that we're not going to get into right now. But all of this, even though we, we feel that it is our own doing, it is not. This is all of it, is the work of God. God has taken the initial steps to pluck us out from the mess and say, you are my child. So therefore, we have no right. We have no ability to say, well, I, you know, God saved me when I did this. Now, God chose you beforehand. He chose you before the beginning of the world. But there is no merit to our own accomplishments that can give us salvation. As I said, it wasn't recently until I began to accept this idea of a predestination, the thought that um, you know I did not, I did nothing to obtain it, um, and it's a common thing among people. In fact, I actually, um, 
I actually had a, uh, a conversation briefly on Facebook uh, a few de- a few weeks ago, I think it's about two weeks now, um, where I, I, I heard a song on the radio by Zach Williams called Old Church Choir. You may be familiar with it. In fact, I personally love this song. It is an awesome song to rock out to. But and it is good to a point, but what stood out to me the last time I listened to it was one of the lines in which he says, once you choose it, you can't, you cannot lose it. It sounds fine and dandy, but the reality is here that we don't choose salvation. Essentially, he chooses us. God chooses us to give us this salvation. Um, and, you know, according to the Bible themselves... Uh, welcome to the party, Gina. We're just kind of getting started. Grab yourself a notepad and paper, and uh, you know, let's rock this party. Um, by the way, get a hold of me. I got a little fun fact I want to share with you. Um, so send me a message or something. We'll get back. But you know, according to the Bible, we don't specifically choose salvation. We don't choose any of it, to be honest. You know, you come in, you come in, you uh, you repent to the Lord. You ask for Him for your forgiveness. You ask Him to come into your lives. That's not the work of your own doing. That's the work of the Holy Spirit saying, "Hey, bro, you know, here's what's wrong. Here's your issue. Here's your sin. I know it's there. Now, what you need to do is admit that you're a total screw up, and by doing such, I'll I'll let you in. I'll let you into my kingdom." As I said, salvation is what chooses us, you know, or more directly, it's God that chooses us. Ephesians 2, uh, chapter 2, 8 through 9 says, For by the grace you have been saved through faith. It is through faith in which we have been saved. It is not by our own doing, but it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that nobody may boast. So, He's saying here uh, that it's, it, it is not by a result of work. So we can't do anything. We can't do anything on our own doing by coming down on our knees in front of the cross, by, by asking God to forgive us. None of that is going to merit salvation. And none of that is, is done by our own doing. Now, it is important to uh, profess your sins to the Lord. It is important to repent and it is important to call him your Lord and your master and to desire to live your life in obedience to him. Absolutely. That is 100% true. I am not going to refute that. The only thing I do refute is that, you know, this mindset that we take that I came to him or I accepted him. Because what we're saying there in some manner is that we are over God. That, you know, if I personally accept what God has done, then I have said he has saved me. So we're putting our, our power, our human power, above his. Uh, and what we find here, it is by the grace of God, his kindness, and it is through faith alone in which we have been saved. Now, what's interesting about this is, is, is you know, we say that, that, though, that through our own faith, through faith that we have been saved. Does that, does that mean anything? No, it is not. It doesn't mean jack squat. It's because that even faith in God is a gift from God. Uh, it is something in which he has given us. Romans 2, uh, I'm sorry, 12, uh, verse 3, it says, The faith that we have is a gift from the Lord, each according to the measures of faith that God has assigned. So in other words here, God has given us the ability to have faith in him. All of it is by God alone. And this shows the amount uh, that the amount of faith, or could possibly, and I'm up for I'm up to uh, discuss this specifically because I'm personally not up to par with the full understanding of it. Um, but this shows that the amount of faith in God that we have now, and our in our personal life, all of that is a gift from God. Now, 
this also raises the question, if, if that is the case, if our faith, the amount of faith in which we have in God is a gift from God, then how do we become more faithful? And if I was to take a stab at this, I would say that, you know, we receive more faith simply by being obedient to the Lord. The biggest question is why or how, I guess, is what you could throw in there, too, is because by being obedient to God, by being obedient to the Lord, even in the times in which we perform an action for the Lord and we have no possible idea of what this outcome is going to be, um, you know, we have no idea what the result is when we confront somebody on an error and we don't know if they're going to listen to us or not. Still, we have obeyed God and what he has asked us to do. And I think the important thing that just came to my mind is in some cases, uh, in fact, one that does come to mind when we have to confront an issue, is it shows, it, it, it gives the ability, or it, it, it makes it known that a, the individual says, hey, here's the issue. Now, you can either choose to listen or not, but this is a message straight from God. And how you choose to respond next is ultimately going to decide, you know, if you're finding favor in God or, you know, frustration with him in your disobedience or your obedience, depending on how you decide to act. So when it comes to God commanding us to sell our house, move to the slums of a city and preach the gospel, that uh, we have no idea what the result will be by taking these proper steps, by doing that, by selling a house and making the move, we are showing just how obedient we can be. And then in the, in the outcome of this will be that our faith will be growing even more because by taking steps that we have no idea what the result's gonna be, we see, you know, five, ten years from now, what actually happened. What did God do when you decided to act? How did he provide for you? He provided a home. He provided fellowship. He provided, you know, one, two, three people more, you know, to reach out to. And, you know, by doing such, you're spreading the gospel even further. First Timothy 3, verse, uh, we haven't got into our, uh, our, our lesson for today yet. I guess we're kind of a long intro here. 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verse 13 and 14 says, But I receive mercy because I've acted ignorantly. These are the words of Paul. I have received mercy because I have acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord has overflowed from me with the faith and love that are in Jesus. I want you guys to, to write, check that out again. I want to read that one more time. But I received Paul... I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And it is the grace of our Lord that overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Jesus Christ. You know, Paul himself, he's a man with a, a very interesting background. And this background, he, he's killing the early Christians. You know, he had no mercy for the for in his persecuting life. You know, he was so wicked that while Stephen, you know, one of the first uh, one of the first deacons, one of the first ministers, uh, one of the first martyrs in the scriptures, actually in New Testament, uh, while he was being stoned a martyr's death, Paul stands there in approval of this event that's going on, and he's holding the coats of the people who are doing the stoning. You find this off in Acts twenty-two, verse twenty. And keeping in mind that Paul himself is just as wicked as the Pharisees. Or perhaps even worse. So, so much that he watches the entire event take fold. 
He approves of it, and he hunts these believers down. Paul himself was a very, very wicked man. 1 Timothy 1.15 Jesus chose him, but not, not, not because of the Pharisees. Not, not that he was a Pharisee. He chose him, but not the Pharisee. That's where I'm getting at here. And this obtained, he obtained salvation... And he lived the rest of his life in the ministry of Jesus Christ. Now, the interesting part about that is, is if it was all up to Paul, he would have continued to crucify. He would continue to stone. He would have continued to hunt these believers down as a bounty hunter. And yet, Jesus Christ himself stopped him in his tracks and he said, Paul, you're done. Why are you persecuting me? You know, because of this, you know, there's going to be, I'm going to strike you blind, and there's going to be a man three days later who's going to come and heal you. And he's going to show, he's going to prove to you just how powerful I really am. And I share all of this here with a simple purpose. I share it to show that there is not one thing we could possibly do by ourselves to obtain salvation. Not one. Not even, not even by accepting Christ. Are we obtaining salvation? Not even by professing our, our, Him as Lord are we obtaining it. It is only by the grace of God. And I think that's a really important to share is because it shows just how wicked of a people that we are. It shows just how sinful and how dark mankind truly is. And it shows just how loving God truly is. That He says, you don't deserve any of this that I have to offer. You don't deserve eternal life. You don't deserve forgiveness. You don't deserve peace. You don't deserve comfort. None of this. If you deserve anything, it is for me to turn my back on you. It is for me to cast you into the fires of hell. Because this is what you deserve. You wicked sinner. I think it's important to, to, to see it in that light because when the moment we see ourselves as a completely wretched filth, it gives even more respect, more honor, more glory to God when we recognize that because we realize that there is not one possibly, not, not, not one thing. It was God that moved me to repentance. It was God that brought me to the altar. It was God that, that, that got me to tell him, you are my Lord. And you are my Savior. It was by Him alone. Apart from God working in us, there is, uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit, there is not one who is righteous to obtain the salvation. Even the rich young ruler, as I've already mentioned earlier in this broadcast, who was a very, very spiritual man, did not have salvation. And it was not even given to him. And there is not one understanding, there is not one who understands anything of the Lord apart from him revealing himself to us. 1 Corinthians 2.13 And there is not one who seeks after the Father, not a single one by their own doing, apart from the work of God, there is not one person who seeks after the Father. John 13, I'm sorry, not John 13, John 3, 19 through 20 is a very good example of this. You know, as we, if you checked out our, uh, one of our previous uh, broadcasts, um, Identity in Christ, there was an episode I did over the wickedness that by, with, by, uh, uh, before anything, before obtaining any salvation, we are wicked and we are wretched people. 
and uh, in there, I, it's been a while, so I can't really uh, say for sure, but in there, I explain that, you know, we hide. Apart from God, we hide from him because we, we have a fear of being exposed. And this is what we find in John 3, 19 through 20, that the wicked run from the light and they hide. All have turned aside. All have followed their own gods. All have followed their own idols, even people in the Christian community. You know, some of them, uh, some of them, when you bring into an account of an error in which they have committed, he has hopes to restore them into righteousness, um, and you know, or sin that they were involved in. That you're saying, hey, we need to work on this. There will be some who are going to respond to you with, well, you're not supposed to judge others, are you? Only God can judge me. Or there's going to be even more who would claim that you know you're you're not being very loving. That's not very you know Christian of you. To, you know you're supposed to accept me as I am, aren't you? It's like that's not the case. You can get a good example from Isaiah 53 verse six. It is loving to bring into account the sin, as a hopes in which they would repent from that. As we said, apart from God, there is not one who does any good. Our good deeds are like filthy rags to God. And there is not any action in this world that we can do alone that merits righteousness, that merits salvation. Not even the act of choosing God, as we've already said. Isaiah 64, verse 6. It is not enough that we believe in Jesus. And it is not enough. Or it, believing in, in our belief in Jesus Christ is not enough that, to save us. Even uh, as we find out here in James chapter 2, verse 19, it tells us that even demons believe in the Lord. Even, even in their own, uh, their own doctrine of orthodox, it is, it is solid. A demon is the probably out, outside of uh, God and uh, Jesus, out of, outside of the Holy Spirit, outside of the Trinity, outside of the kingdom of God, the, uh, probably one of the most orthodox solid doctrine uh, factions, if you wish, would be the demonic realm because they know exactly how God works and yet they reject it. They know the truth. They're solid. But they don't follow through. But this is not enough to save. Belief in Jesus Christ is not enough to save because even demons believe and as uh, believe in the Lord that He is accurate, that He is truth, that He is life. And they are still in hell. And they will one day be cast into the lake of fire for an eternal destruction. Now, as we get into this, I guess I kind of summed up. Uh, I summed up quite a bit. I summed up the first couple uh, verses there, um, starting in verse 9, going through, I guess, verse 12. Is that what we have here? Verse 12, yeah. Yeah, verse 12. Uh, and I want to get into verse uh, 13. This is actually an interesting one, and I think this is one that we need to bring to challenge in our personal uh, faith. Uh, it says, Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Now, I actually had to look at this up. An asp, that was A-S-P-S. -S. Well, asps as in uh, plural, but A-S-P is the, the term. And that's actually referring to a snake or a venomous serpent. Um, so the venom of a serpent is under their lips. It is poison. It is, it is uh, dangerous. 
Now, what's interesting about this is, as we start off here, it says their throat is an open grave. First, to take a look at that, you have a closed grave. And at that time, uh, and we do this today, you know, today we, we put people in boxes, shove them in a hole, and throw dirt on them. But back then, these people were, you know, there was a lot more. There's catacombs in which they'd lay the bodies in. But they, I think they actually had a little bit more respect uh, for the dead than we do today. Um, I'd have to look into that myself for a little bit of a study to give you more information on that. But a closed grave, as Jesus Christ was, you know, he was, he was put in a tomb and the stone was rolled in front of it. But a closed grave itself, it, it shows a respect for the dead. And, and not just that, but it also acts as a means to seal off any stench or decay or rot. So to have an open grave would mean that it would show a disrespect to someone or even a sign of decay that exists inside of a person. I once shared a, uh, um, a phrase, and I, I learned this actually from uh, Charles, uh, or not sorry, yeah, well, Charles Swindoll, Chuck Swindoll um, from uh, Inside for Living uh, a few years back. And one of the things in which he shared was uh, he actually learned this from somebody else, some other gentleman I'm not familiar with. Um, how he related it to was that our mouth itself is a bucket and our heart is, a, is our soul, our spirit, our inside, our internal being is the well. It is the well of life, or at least it should be uh, to some degree. But if our mouth is the bucket, the bucket is used to dump into the well, to get the water out of the well, and what comes out of the bucket is either good or bad. And likewise, so does our words, so does our deceit, our malice, our hypocrisy, our testimony, all of this. If all of this is filthy, if it is vulgar by any sort of standard, if you're throwing out um, rude comments to people, calling them, you know, a stupid idiot in a, in a, in a defacing manner. If, if you're, if you're, you know, telling somebody that, you know, that, you know, whatever it is you can really think of, to be honest. If you're lying to somebody, if you're full of hypocrisy, you know, this is, this is the idea. This is, this is what it shows that you yourself in your current state is nothing more than, you know, decay and rot, that the inside of yourself is dead and it is needed to be revived by the Holy Spirit. The idea that Paul illustrates here is that the venom is full from their lips, that, that comes from their lips, just shows just how exactly how deadly these words are, you know, which are a sign of how dead the individual is. In verse 19, it says here that there is not one or none of them fear God. And I think this is a very big one in which we need to recognize. It is, it is one that we need to bring to light um, in the church. We have people who do not fear God within the church. And I unfortunately, I hate to say this, but I can think of a couple. And it scares me. And as by far, this is, this is actually one of the most troubling passages um, to me in this entire section. And it is because to fear the Lord is not just to fear what he can do. It is not just to fear his sovereign power or his sovereign rule. But more specifically, it is a means to respect God for who he is 
in all of his nature. And the best way that we can explain this, honestly, I, I was thinking about this today, is like, how can I, how can you, not today, I'm sorry, this week as I was preparing these notes here, is, I was thinking about this as, you know, how can we, or how can I re, re, um, relate that? How, how can we show, or how can we relate this to, you know, so we understand how we should fear God? And the only thing I could really come up with is, um, you know, one, we need to fear him as a king for what he could do to us, lock us in the stockades for all eternity. But another way that we should fear him as a father, we, <clears throat> excuse me, we need to fear him just as a, as a child would his father. Uh, you know, the best way that you can, you can say this is that when a child has a fear for his father or for his mother, it's not a fear as in, oh my gosh, they're going to beat me with the belt again, or at least it shouldn't be. I know there's some families out there who have to deal with that. Now, I, I'm not saying discipline is something we shouldn't do. I strongly recommend families do this. Um, I personally know from experience, and so do many other other children, uh, or I guess other people my age, or and even some uh, a little older would know this. That you know, a discipline itself, it's not always pleasant, but it works. Um, you know, this fear that we have is, is not as a punishment or lack of provisions. Uh, you know, I'm not going to eat dinner tonight or of a violent discipline, but rather as a fear of a parent is a, as means of to respect who they are to us. The authority that they have over us and the love that they have for us. You know, that's, that's the best way. You know, a child respects, they listen to instructions, and they obey their parents. At least a good child would. I'm not saying children are good, uh, as we've already discussed in this series, that there's not one who is good. But I guess by human standards, um, we could come across that, that there is sometimes you could call somebody a good child. Um, there are some there are you know some decent ones who do listen to their instructions of their parents, uh, who obey their parents and uh, you know all the like. And this is exactly the same sort of love or the same sort of fear in which we are to have for the Lord. Now, we do need to recognize that, that he himself and Christ himself has shared with us, you know, we, we shouldn't fear what man can do for the one who can crush the body, but also, but more importantly, fear the one who can destroy both body and soul. This is what we need to recognize there. And that, that is important. Uh, there is a level of fear, that which, uh, sovereign fear, in which we should have for what Jesus, for what God the Father can do to us. Um, and all he can do, and you, all you have, you just have to read any any account within the scriptures, and you'll see that God Himself is sovereign, that He is in control, uh, and that He does deserve a fear. But more importantly, or even equal to, He does der deserve a little bit more respect than what we give Him. And as while I was preparing these, I actually thought of this: um, is you know, I, I was asking myself, you know, what are some of the ways in which we uh, which humankind does not fear God. And, and I came up with a list, and you can feel free to add more to the list if you would like. Number one is we give in to sin. You know, we, we come up with some sort of excuse to justify as why we should do it. Uh, we turn away our thinking, turning away our thinking um, in, into an idea that somebody else will do it. We don't obey the Lord in that in our actions. It says, "Well, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna give that somebody some food because somebody else is gonna take care of it, or, um, you know, I'm not gonna donate to, to charity because you know they've already got enough people. I'm not gonna give it to the church. They've got enough people who are do, do, uh, donating already." But the reality is, if everybody's in that mindset, nothing's gonna get done. Rather than that, we need to have a cheerful giving attitude. Another aspect would be a le uh, a lack of self-sacrifice. 
which which could relate to the let to the previous one here. Um, you know, that somebody else will do it. But self-sacrifice is a very important one. Uh, we need to be willing to give up for ourselves, uh, give up our time, give up our resources uh, in order to help others out. Uh, being ignorant to his word, not even paying attention to what it has to say. Turning our own fellowship or our Christian faith into a Sunday morning experience only. This alone is a way in which we do not fear God because the Lord himself says to love the Lord your God with everything you've got. And this includes Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, not just Sunday morning, but all throughout the week. Give respect, give honor, give his due. Worship him alone. And it's very, very concerning that we have that. And another one, the most important thing here, which I guess this ultimately wraps up the entire uh entire aspect of how we do not fear God. It is by being unwilling to take up our cross. Now, I'm not saying, you know, to take up your cross as a means to go and, you know, give servitude to charity or do some other good deed. I'm talking about t uh, taking up your cross, the willingness for self-sacrifice, the willingness to give your life up. If it, if it is asked. Now, it's not saying, I'm not saying that everybody's going to have to die a martyr's death. That's not the case. But if it was to come to that, we need to be willing to do that as well. To continue to live in Christ. And die the same way he did. And I think I want to encourage you guys. Uh, I got actually two assignments here. We're getting into the, uh, the second one here. But I want to encourage you guys to write this down. And ask yourselves, just how much... How much or even how far are you willing to go for the sake of the cross? You know, taking up the cross includes so much. You know, we deny the cross by being too concerned with the people's feelings rather than their, their need for truth. Unwilling to sacrifice relationships, both old friends and possibly even family. Putting God on the sideline when he calls us to service. And saying to ourselves that we will get to it when we have time. In fact, I was actually guilty of this at one point in my life. And um, I was at work and I was praying for somebody. I was like, God, you know, this person themselves, I'm very concerned about them. They're always saying they don't have enough, generally speaking, that they don't have enough time. And I was thinking, it's like, you know, people, we, we make time for the things that are important to us. And Lord, I'm asking you to, to move in this person's life and, and help them to realize that, that, that to make more time for you and then I got to thinking about that it got pretty much threw it right back in my face it's like you're right we make time for the things that are important to us and I was saying for so long that my faith is important and I'd love to do I was you know, I wanted to do the call into ministry I want to do broadcast all this stuff that I'm doing right now and and I was thinking is and I put that off to the side it's like I don't have enough time I'm doing all these other projects at this point in time now and and I, God basically threw it back in my face. It says, you're right. You make time for the things that are important to him. It's like, all right, I got it. I'll do it. So I got to listening to God, and um, I, I began to, you know, open up this ministry even more and, and continuing in this work. So I want to encourage you guys to do that as well. You know, find time for him. And I guess, uh, you know, how much do we really respect the Lord? You know, when you, when you become obedient enough to follow him through these hardest experiences... Or will you become obedient enough to follow him through these experiences? Or will you keep quiet 
and hide behind some sort of excuse that somebody else will do it. I don't have the time or that the entire world, they're all doing this too, so, you know, it's okay. Now, one of the things, this is the second assignment in which I want you guys to take uh, take hold of. Uh, and again, you know, if you do not have one, consider becoming a supporter of this ministry uh, and get yourself a little booklet. This might actually come in handy and a little pen to write with as well. Um, but uh, this assignment here I have for you, if you guys want to take this up, is I want you to go through uh, the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, in fact, I'm actually, I just started this uh, the other day. Uh, but I want to encourage you that anybody who's listening to this broadcast right now, or in the future, whoever it is, if you're getting to this point, do this assignment. Um, you know, take some time to go back through the Gospel, the Gospel of Matthew, and I want you to write down every verse that you find in which Jesus gives some sort of account, some sort of command, or some sort of instruction. And through each one of them, and you can even write them down if you have to, um, through each one of them, ask yourselves, how can I be obedient to the Lord through this command? Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually make this known. There's a lot of commands. Um, I've gotten, I think, about 20 or 25 written down, and I'm only through three chapters. Um, and that's not including ones that I may or may have, or may not, or that's not including ones that I missed. So I want you to do that, you know, find, go back through all of these commands, starting in the beginning. I'll give you the first two. One, he tells John the Baptist, let it be so. And then the second, the second and third command, he says, repent and follow me. Um, and this, these are some, uh, some three, the first three commands in which you will follow or you will find. Um, now getting in verse 19, we're going to be wrapping this up here. It says, now that we know whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped. Every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world will be held accountable. It's like, wait, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. What are you, what are you saying here? You're telling me that, you know, what, hold on. What if, what if somebody has never heard the gospel? What if somebody's never told me about God? Can I really be held accountable if I've never even heard the gospel, if I've never even heard his word, or, and I don't know his law? The answer is yes. Yes, you can still be held accountable. We went over that again, I believe, is in uh, chapter 1 or chapter 2 uh, of the book of Romans. Again, that um, God gives everybody the law. To the, to the Jews, they have the written law. Um, the written law of the Lord. So they, I guess they had a more detailed description of the law as well as how to abide by that. And to the Gentiles and everybody else who is outside of that, they've got a moral law. This is a moral law that God gives everybody. The law itself written on our own hearts. The, the, the morality of right and wrong. Um, you know, we all have some sort of recognition of that. And we all can give some sort of admittance if... if, if, if some sort of admittance that there is some sort of higher power out there that is in control of everything, that has created everything, that it, it, that is the one to recognize and give credit to. Now, if we can recognize that, the biggest thing that stops us, this is this is where people stop and they don't look, is now that we've recognized who got who this that there is something out there. The question really is, who is it? And narrowing it down from there. You know, he's made himself uh, known to everybody through a natural revelation, throughout the creation, throughout the cosmos, and has said, you know, through moral conscience. 
So because of this, nobody is without excuse, and there is not one person alive today, or even you know has existed throughout all of time, that can come and they can say, I didn't know. The reality is you did know, or you knew something, but you chose not to act. You chose not to look, and you chose to do your own thing. That's really all I have for you all today. I, um, I hope you guys got something out of that. There was a lot to cover, but um, you know, feel free to go back over if you need to. Um, and again, I want to encourage you all um, one more time. Uh, I want to encourage you to check out, uh, you know, becoming a supporter of this ministry. Um, we have recently reached our $20 a month goal. Um, we're starting small, uh, as you can tell. But, I mean, even that much is a huge blessing uh, because that means you can reallocate certain funds elsewhere or where it's needed. It gives us another step. So, again, um, if you would like to have one of these notebooks, um, and I'll see about putting them online, get a little bit more options out there for you, but um, you can get one of these notebooks, Christian Cornerstone Notebook, uh, and a little nifty pen. Uh, again, this is going to be the first of many options, uh, many, many things we offer to come. Um, you can do so by becoming a, subs a subscriber, a financial subscriber of this ministry project. Um, by going to our website and as a minimum of uh, $10, uh, $10 per month or more, and we'll definitely get that out there to you. So um, with that being said, I hope you guys enjoy this. Any questions, comments, concerns, feel free to hit me up. Send me an email at contact at christiancornerstone.org or however other means in which you have to contact me or this ministry. Without further ado, you guys have yourself a very wonderful and blessed weekend. God bless.